0: Sure. Welcome to another installment of show to v with Mike G, the show of life, the show of proto-punk, DC, politics, Tibet, and Hudson Whiskey. Yes, that's right. Today we talk to the enigmatic, the persona, the world-renowned personality, Mr. Han Shan, national ambassador of Hudson Whiskey. And no, I don't think that's his real name. That's how secretive the life before whiskey perhaps was. Or maybe it's just the greatest crafted personality, persona, brand ambassador role that you can imagine. Han and I got to sit down at the San Antonio Cocktail Conference and sip through some of those fine Hudson whiskeys, that Hudson Manhattan rye being an outstanding, exceptional rye whiskey, of which I would love a dram just about now. But we talk about a lot of different things. Of course, we dive into music, we dive into punk rock, we talk about the perils of being a political activist, we talk about filmmaking, and many other things. So, I hope you guys enjoy this chat with the infamous Han Shan.
1: Reminiscing in a way, I mean. People are are sharing in different ways. I feel like it's evolving very quickly because so many people are partaking in this little thing. But uh, the way I read it was the top 10 most influential artists and albums, Right, right. one album per artist, of your teenage years. So that's 13 to 19. It's very circumscribed and most influential because I found as I was trying to narrow it down to 10, there were things I listened to more than made the list. And there were some things that are on my list that I don't feel great about, but they were influential nonetheless. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean, dude. Fifty One Fifty Van Halen. I don't want to admit to that <laughs> shit. But well, it it's so was. for for me, it was all about punk rock. Yeah, uh, the there were there were two things that weren't punk on, on my list, um, and that was Pink Floyd The Wall, which I feel like was honorary punk for me, sure. almost proto punk, and then uh, Public Enemy. Fear of a Black Planet, which was incredibly eye opening and sort of educational for me as a white kid growing up in Baltimore in a very segregated uh, city, um, understanding gentrification, understanding the politics of the black experience. So, and that just crept in at the end of my teenage years, but really, punk opened my eyes to politics, to the world in which we live yeah. and because we're talking so, so baltimore guy yeah so close to dc well so exactly so, my, brains, so minor, minor threat threats. uh fugazi but also on my list is agent orange and what, oh, what about gi uh government issue made my uh honorable mention uh, yes. <laughs> because i had to leave i had to leave a little room that's, for some honorable mentions that, that's amazing uh, Yeah, but you know there were those uh those albums or or songs that were on this mixtape that Opened my eyes to punk and definitely were transformative and influential. That weren't necessarily the best things or my yeah. favorite things, but they were they were forks in the road. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Influ- influential and impactful in that way. Yeah. So
0: as a kid, it's funny because I, I can go backwards. I can say, "All right, we hear the records, so let me let's like build a guy. What's yeah. this guy? What's this yeah. guy look like?
1: Were you a skater kid? Were you a biker kid? I w- I, I was into BMX, I, but but really. I I didn't really see myself as a skater or a biker per se. I had a very very dear friend named Christian Sturgis who I literally was talking with in the comments about this mixtape that yeah. we spent the summer between sixth and seventh grade, literally walking around our neighborhood, blasting this mixtape on a on a boombox. Yeah, that we and. I mean, it Those was, deep it was like, right? Like it the was the battery. meat man. And oh my I mean, gosh. some really stuff that I'm, yeah. I'm actually embarrassed about now, Really, but, but also fear, uh, and violent fems and, you know, I mean, just some, some great stuff, some funny stuff, but some stuff that opened our eyes. And I think I was definitely educated in, uh, by punk, yeah. punk music, kind living. of connection
0: to the outside world in a way, right? For sure. Yeah. You know, you
1: 13 years old, 12, 13 years old. Um, We felt very protected. I, you know, grew up in in North Baltimore, edge of the suburbs, but still a very white, very kind of, um, well, an experience a little bit away from the the Baltimore that people who, you know, watch The Wire. Right. Not as gritty. No, not as gritty. But at the same time, um, my mom worked at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and oh, okay. so, you know, what, what did she do there? She was a nurse. I mean, she would come home with stories from the ER that were kind of horrific, and we weren't allowed to talk about money, religion, or politics at the dinner table, but she would tell us about, like, murder <laughs> victims. <laughs> and and everything so it's else kind was kind of alive. like, yeah, <laughs> Really, Mom? That's, you know, I okay, guess let, just because she was a little numb to it. Let, but let punk rock teach me. That's fine. Yeah, let me yeah. learn about politics. It from actually you guy, was, yeah? it, it was so important to me. And I feel like I, I'm, I'm so thankful, yeah. actually, to that. I'm just very grateful for the experience of growing up uh, around East Coast, particularly, you know, like D.C. punk. It's a great and the, time, And yeah. the whole kind of uh, discord, straight edge, mm-hmm. political, positive punk. Did that, you have... Uh, amazing
0: time. I missed it just slightly, you know. Well, I know. I'm
1: 44. You can see with my gray (laughs) hair. No, I do have more gray hair than you do, I think. Mid-80s. But that was a great time.
0: um, For sure. When it came to drugs and it came to alcohol and all that stuff, of which it was a really strong straight edge moment. Yeah, yeah. Movement. Did you relate one way or the other with it?
1: Uh, Initially, I did. I'll, I'll be honest. I, you know, I was sort of attracted to the straight edge thing only in that the way I understood it was, it was really more about being positive and taking control of one's life. And I saw just, I think I was, um, I was skeptical of the messages, of the consumerist messages that we saw, just kind of numb yourself. You can get away from the world's problems by drowning it in alcohol or drugs or whatever. And I saw it even amongst my peers, of course, just people kind of wanting to hide behind a veneer of numbness, wh- yeah, whatever it sure. was that that kind of made it easy to not look at the world. As, I've, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I grew up, and it wasn't too long before I was able to see things in more gray tones. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're that's how really goes, young, yeah, exactly. I, I was sort of, I was attracted to the idea, you know, Ian Mackay, out of step, the, you know, the lyrics are, I don't drink, I don't smoke, right. I don't I can't keep up, I'm out of step with the world. I was attracted to the idea that you would literally reject these things that in an era right before that, those were seen as rebellious, like to do drugs or to Absolutely. drink. Absolutely, kind of, free love, right? And, and now you say, no, no, come on. Rebellion is being crystal clear, engaging with the world, seeing it—you know—straight on. That's what straight edge was about. Yeah. so I was attracted to that. And then as I, as I got a little older, I was like, "Hey, uh, I like this whiskey stuff." Bruce uh, is but not no, so bad. no, no of course, yeah. because it's there's so much legacy and so much tradition and so much uh, heritage and so much fun and stories and storytelling. Yeah. And, you know, rebellion to be had too, and cocktail culture, and you know, so. Um, it's, I'm sure you'll find that it's an undercurrent nuance. that doesn't go away.
0: Exactly. Rebellion, punk, just a punk mentality. Right. Do things in their own kind of way, like put whiskey in a three seventy-five. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's something, right? Not to a lesser extent, it's not changing the world, but it is a punk move. It really. For is. sure. For sure. So as you kind of grew up, it seems like maybe some activism. But when it comes to what it was crystal clear in the eighties, you go to college, you get a degree, you get a great job. That straight narrow path mm-hmm. was that for you? No, no. <laughs> no, no.
1: I I um I went to art school. I studied painting.
0: What uh, what medium or um, what kind of paint did you like? I mean, I I, I was an oil painter, but I did everything. Yeah. I,
1: I I did sculpture. I did uh, performance and video, and I, really? I messed around all over the place. A lot of I I did printmaking and photograph. Anybody particularly influential at that point for you? Uh, I mean. Don't get me started. We go down a whole nother path. What about, what, I, no, I, but I mean, I, 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 I was doing big kind of abstract work, but I, I saw it as narrative. I saw it as kind of emotionally resonant. So I was very attracted to some of the big ab- abstract expressions. I mean, Rothko. And, I was gonna. Um, how do you feel about Newman? I uh, thought it yeah, was well, a little flat, right? I, I'm, I'm more. To, to me, there's Rothko people and yeah. and Barnett Newman. That's people right. And, yeah, and, uh, the, the, the one place where I feel like it comes together in a really beautiful way uh, is not too far from here in Houston at the, at the Rothko Chapel, That's where, where at. you have the broken obelisk uh, uh, sculpture um, by Barnett Newman outside of the beautiful Rothko Chapel. And that, to me, and, and the fact that they were friends, that, that sort of helped Help me, me it. Oh. understand it. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, frankly, Barnett Newman never did a thing for me. Yeah, I don't like um, it either. I like its idea, the Stations of the Cross at the um, National Gallery. Are, it's a cool idea, but then yeah. I actually look at the paintings and they fall utterly flat for me somehow. Yeah. But anyway.
0: It's a piece of you, that artistic motivation, that drive. For sure. Yeah.
1: And, and that idea that, that you can look at something and the narrative behind it, just like so much poetry or you know, punk expression, whether it's in music or fashion, there's, there's depths to it that yeah. you can plumb. That it's, you know, what you see is... There, there's a lot more beneath the surface. Absolutely. And so I think, for me, yeah, punk was part of that, and, and the way that I pursued art and painting was what, definitely part of that. Was
0: there a clear signpost, a clear mile marker that you were trying to achieve with your work?
1: Um, honestly, when I, when I started out, I, I wanted to be a studio artist. I figured maybe I'd, I'd teach, but I wanted to, you know... Showing galleries yeah. and sell my work. And as I got into my early 20s, and I, I was relatively successful, actually, as, yeah. as, a, as a young man, I, I had some gallery shows and I did all right. Um, I had a bit of an existential crisis when I realized that the be-all, end-all of that life was just selling decoration to wealthy folks. And If, I, it was, yeah, yeah, I if think you think took it, was it literally, a, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, and I think... Um, and I was being more and more engaged politically. Uh, and I sort of felt, well, I, I didn't want to do that. And I, and I was an activist as well. I was sort of always involved from kind of my teenage years with the awakening of punk. Right. Um, and I was living in Chicago where I went to school, the Art Institute of Chicago. And I frankly kind of stepped back from pursuing the... Uh, the art career that I might have had. Yeah. And for the next, frankly, 20 years until I came around to work for Hudson Whiskey. Yeah. Literally, I mean, for 20 years, I, I worked in nonprofit human rights and environmental advocacy. That's amazing. So,
0: Did you travel around a bit for that? I traveled yeah. a lot.
1: I, a lot of my work uh, was focused on kind of the intersection of, of human rights and resource extraction. Mm-hmm. So looking at um, the way oil, gas, mining, timber... And other kinds of resource the human extraction toll, affects right. yeah. indigenous communities in the Amazon. Um, I worked uh, uh, with Tibetan refugees and, and wow. Tibetans, and and the human rights and, and really the independence struggle um, in Tibet. Uh, and I've traveled a lot, and you know it's still stuff that I'm involved in. Right. Uh, the truth of the matter is, over those twenty years, as as in um, enriched as I became. Never made a lot of money. That's not the point. Never was the point. Um, I was always, or at least over the last decade or more, I've been nerdy about cocktails and spirits and going and visiting uh, distilleries and all that good stuff. And I was very enamored with the industry and wanted to find a way to, to make that part of my experience. And when I got an opportunity to, to make that my job, yeah. I, I feel like I've sort of switched my passion and my livelihood. Um, but the cool part is they're really, I, I, I have a passion for what I do now for a living. Right, right. I have a passion for what I did for a living before, and now I, I do it as a volunteer and I still find ways to, to participate.
0: Because there's the he, the human element is really important here. I, talk about the human toll. Mezcal always comes to mind because there's sure. a massive cultural, cultural impact man. to the people. You know, yeah. once once uh, the West comes in, man, stuff heads will heads will roll. You know, absolutely. So as you were in this period, because this is good, this this is easy for me. Art yeah. activism whiskey. Yeah. it's beautiful. <laughs> I know. Three bookends. I knew we we well, this is uh, this all together. Yeah, it's and so nice. good. It, it's, yeah. And there's three bottles, so this is actually very very <laughs> perfect. But in that process of following the causes, documenting them, too, I'm kind of assuming. Yeah, yeah. Um, in which way, I'm not sure whether it was camera or film or whatnot. A little bit of all. But a little yeah. bit all of it. Yeah. How was, were you able, so this is the thing. Sometimes when we chase this passion, right, whether it's art, whiskey, to a degree. Yeah. It's a, it, it, it comes at the s- stake of our personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Were you able to still build really, really deep bonds in Chicago while you're out yeah. doing those things for other people?
1: I mean, I, yes. I, I, I when I, when I said I was enriched by my work, uh, even if I wasn't socking money away in my savings account, yeah. I, I mean, I really, I, I can't even describe how wealthy I feel in terms of the experiences, but, sure. but more than anything, the incredible relationships I've forged with people around the world mm. over the years. And in I mean, I, I see it in this industry. I see it sort of, I, I certainly see it in the cocktail world and in, in the world of craft distillers and, and in just the, the broader kind of booze industry that I'm now a part of, for sure. Um, but I, I just can't say enough about the the relationships. You know, when when you're fighting literally together on the front lines yeah. with with people on life and death stuff. I, you know, I've got friends who when I look back on it now, I realize, oh, I spent maybe a few weeks with this person 15 years ago on this one particular project, but we forged a bond where now literally if if I heard that person needs me, you're there. I'm the, I mean, I Buy a ticket and be yeah. on their doorstep tomorrow morning.
0: Bend of Brothers kind be, of thing. In oh, a sense, right down. Yeah.
1: And and so, and I know that there's more people than I can count who would do that for me. Yeah. And that I mean that's humbling as hell. Absolutely. I mean, I, and and frankly, it's it's happened. I mean, you know, these it's been proven. Yeah. And uh, I try not to take that for granted because that's there's nothing more important than that in the world. People, yeah, always. And those, call, those you're right. Those relationships yeah
0: i can think of some of the things that perhaps were going around in the world globally some problems some uh, apartheid whatever it may be can you tell me about one of the places you really went to traveled, and immersed yourself in that you really really enjoyed the actual place itself
1: uh yeah yeah i mean i away I think, from the violence right i'm trying to no think no in no, a no different of course yeah. of course i mean i i think um you know, a lot of a lot of the work that I did with students for a free Tibet and the uh, broader Tibetan struggle, and, and I mean I was involved. You know, I I volunteered the Tibetan Freedom Concerts way 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 back. I in the remember, day. I was man. Just that, that was day. another one of those conversations. Literally on Facebook, I was uh, chatting today with with a, a buddy who who was involved with the Miller Epiphon who put on the Tibetan Freedom Concerts. Yeah, and his his top ten records from uh, his teenage years, I was sort of thinking about him. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I traveled to Tibet um, and, and really it was a, it was a bit sketchy. It was, it was a kind of a research trip where we were going to look at um, human rights abuses and specifically what was happening at Thrapchi Prison outside of Lhasa. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were being surveilled, but this is also quite some time ago. So it, it wasn't as if there was all the social media and Facebook. And so we we were able to get in, yeah. we were able to go on tourist visas, we were able to sort of take advantage of a, of a very brief opening that the Chinese government um, facilitated for some press and, and whatnot. Uh, they were still watching very, very closely. But of I had, you know, a, a few moments, I mean, some days where we traveled and visited some monasteries and talked to some folks where we were very nervous frankly c- because we didn't want any of our we didn't want to have any interactions that would come back and haunt the people who interacted with us right unbeknownst to them that you know they were talking to activists or whatever but i none i we we had some incredible just uh conversations and and you know we are traveling in one of the most beautiful places on the planet you yeah. just can't even imagine is it peaceful though? Oh, epic I mean, well, he,
0: to contrast what we know is the human rights violations yeah, at that point yeah i mean
1: that's the hard part is is so much of the kinds of a, a, oppression and and the religious persecution of course but also the the cultural control that the chinese government asserts over every day yeah. tibetans experience um, it it it's always just just beneath the surface and you don't have to, you know, scratch very deep to, to find it and, yeah. and it'll come bubbling up. Um, so you see it and, and sometimes you, you'll be in uh, an idyllic little courtyard in a monastery and you'll think, wow, this is the most enlightened, beautiful place. And you can turn a corner and, you know, there's guys with machine guns and, names, yeah. um, and you know, I, I had this one experience at, at this particular monastery where, we were being given a tour by a, a, a monk, and not, this is not an official tour. Right, this right. is not a place where you can go visit. We just showed up on the doorstep and monk kind of took us down into these catacombs, deep into the uh, sort of bowels of this monastery, took us to this altar, and he's showing us this altar, and I'm speaking like the worst pigeon Tibetan that I can. <laughs> yeah. He's got a few English words and he sort of he pulls this i forget what it was whether it was a, another picture or a bowl or something out of the way to show that there was a picture of his holiness the Dalai Lama yeah. that they had sort of hidden and he kind of oh, he, wow. because literally images of the Dalai Lama are forbidden and can get you know folks in a lot of trouble but he pulled it aside just to show us and kind of winked and then he <laughs> pushed that picture and the, the bowl back in, yeah. in 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 front of it just to sort of show, he, he wanted to actually show off like, hey, you know, we're still doing our thing here. And he was sort of, it was after, you know, an hour of building trust just sure. as two humans. And he had no reason really to trust us. But um, he, he I, th- I think he wanted to show that, hey, we're still resisting. Yeah. We still have our traditions. We still believe what we believe. It's the and punk that, rock nod. It, yeah, it is, without right? a doubt. Yeah.
0: it's kind of like no i can hang
1: yeah look look at this totally right
0: it's it's really brilliant i mean it's a lovely thing to think about how enriched your life's become from traveling and just being around people and just they're
1: interesting man always
0: people that's like the greatest part of this this planet yeah people and the worst part i I I also
1: i also uh got to enjoy a a a, you know a, a virgin cocktail that most folks will will never have which is uh, yak butter tea. Oh my god um, Which is, uh, you know, a, a Tibetan delicacy. I, I'm not going to call it a delicacy. It's an everyday drink up on the the high steps in the, in the plateau of Tibet, where right. uh, it's it's obviously cold. There's, you know, there's a limited amount of things grow there. Uh, they make incredible use of yak dairy um, and yak butter tea. It's basically a black tea that they mix. Not really like a tea that you've ever had. It's more like a soup, but it's basically tea mixed with melted butter wow. and some salt. And you know, it's the kind of thing that'll get uh, a um, a nomadic herder through a long cold day. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and I have to say that the first couple sips were a little tough to choke down. And then I, I, I sort of got it. I turned a corner, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. That's you know, incredible. The, the technology in this cocktail yeah. uh, to keep people healthy and hearty in a pretty tough climate. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into
0: we're going to talk about this transition, your sure. baby fondness of food and these kinds of things. But what do you think of the three Hudson whiskeys we have in front of us? What's a good yes. way to start this? Well,
1: we're going to start, and I and, – uh, for, for folks who are only listening and not tasting. If, of course, you have a little Hudson whiskey handy or a little bourbon of any sort you can drink along, but uh, I'm gonna pour you a little baby bourbon. This is our first. We begin where Tuttletown Spirits and Hudson whiskey began with a little baby bourbon, uh, the very first bourbon ever made in New York. Wow. What year um, are we talking? So. Tuttletown Spirits starts up in 2003. This first came off the the stills in about 2005. Wow. Um, And it was probably on the shelf in about 2006 when our founder, Ralph Arenzo, um, really a pioneer in the craft spirit space, as I'm sure you know, uh, starts taking us down to New York, literally in the back of his truck. Yeah. um, You know, telling people, hey, this is this bourbon I made, you know, uh, what in new yorkers in the hudson know like, uh, bourbon well good uh, question, uh, right? there were a few new yorkers who did including linnell smothers who was uh running linnell's in, in red hook this uh great little whiskey shop who was our very very first customer hudson Whis- whiskey's first customer and uh when when ralph showed this whiskey off to her she said yeah all right i'll buy everything that you have mm. and literally he he was like well okay that's only a handful of bottles but well i'm <laughs> gonna go right back to the still and keep making it but yeah we're talking 2005 so it's only been uh, about a dozen years uh but this is an all corn bourbon and one of the most important things of course about this bourbon but also about the ethos of what makes hudson whiskey different and uh a pioneer is of course that this, this is all made from local grain yeah. grown in the hudson valley grown in new york so it's with very that, lovely salute cheers
0: had Hudson before, but this kind of experience, you know how when you have a drink and under certain situations and conditions, it's so much better. (laughs) So this is, I mean, sharing a drink with you, mate, this is really lovely. Right on. Well, thanks so much. Thank you.
1: Uh, I'm adding a little splash of water just because this is non-chill filtered. What proof are we running here? um, It's 92 proof. And so that's the proof at which essentially the fatty acids, the oils that are in there coming off the still will stay in solution. It won't come mm-hmm. up and get cloudy, and so we don't have to chill filter. And, the, of course, distillers chill filter essentially for the sake of the consumer who's You're afraid to you know, yeah. see the cloudy uh, whiskey bottle and they think it's broken. Right. Um, we don't, and at 92 proof, essentially, you don't need to. Um, and so when you add water, there's, there's chemistry going yeah. on. It's not just a matter of opening it up. But yeah, sure, that's a great way of talking about opening it up. But really, those fatty acids are hydrophobic. And you mm-hmm. add water, and you're actually unlocking them. them, and they, they kind of, they'll bloom. You, you can see those oils sure, sort of curdle absolutely. up. There should be a better word than curdle, I, I like it, though. It's good congeal. No, it's a worse No, thing. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but you actually will taste new things. You'll taste a little citrus. You'll taste a little more vanilla and, mm. you know, some of those things that are just kind of hidden until you add that little splash of water. When you think of whiskey, because
0: so the thing that's interesting to me is, I don't see how if I was throwing a dart at a board, how your previous work now art I get that kind of makes sense. <laughs> how in the hell that would parlay into a whiskey gig now? But we will talk yeah. about that story, yeah. for sure. But that's that, to
1: me, it's like almost no, but, but it's, in a brilliant it's, way. It's honestly, here's the thing. So for twenty years, I'm I'm doing this work that, you know, I I, I tell you, and it's true that. So fulfilling, yeah. But also emotional and and overwhelming and difficult and challenging at times. And quite frankly, I—that's <laughs> a lot to carry on your and and a and a you know a a nice glass of whiskey at the end of the day, yeah. Three, you know, <laughs> yeah. became oh, sure uh, a real solace. And and it going way back. I mean, I come from a family who's always enjoyed whiskey, so it was always around, and I always enjoyed it, but. Over over the years, I really developed a, an abiding love for bourbon, first and foremost, just sure. as an American whiskey guy and as a uh, member of my family, where there was always bourbon in the house. Um, and it's really also, I think, been over the last 10, 15 years, and it's really interesting to be here at San Antonio Cocktail Conference. We're in this incredible time where you know there's more information than there's ever been before. Yeah in terms of books, podcasts, uh, social media, you know all these personalities you can follow on Twitter and Instagram. And I mean, there was the sort of period where cocktail blogs were just exploding and there's still so many great resources out there. I was one of those civilians, frankly. Civilians. who, I like that. Yeah, I wasn't in the industry, but I was on this side of the bar mm-hmm. enjoying it. I was loving learning about it and You know, it's been in the last decade where a civilian, somebody who's just an enthusiast, an amateur at home, can really immerse themselves and go out, if they're as enthusiastic as I was and and there's lots of folks here this week who are. You can hear them right now, in fact. Yeah, I know, exactly. (laughs) Uh, You can go to workshops, you can go visit distilleries on holiday, you can read all the books, you can go to tastings with distillers. You can nerd out to your heart's content, and i I did, and so there came a time when I felt like I could flip that you know livelihood and hobby yeah and uh, and frankly, you know more than anything, I was so attracted to Hudson whiskey from early on because of the ethos of the company, yeah. which I think is super punk rock i it, mean' i don 't know yeah. if Ralph Lorenzo would would say that, that he 's punk rock from a slightly different generation, but uh, so much of of the, the company's ethos has been about bucking trends, about doing what people said was impossible, yeah. about being just tenacious, about following one's dreams and passions. And, you know, I I just thought he was cool as shit and made this awesome product that didn't make any sense that people said wouldn't work. Right. I mean, I, I really was earnestly a fan. And so now, even though I didn't come from a bartending background or whatever, um. I serve as the ambassador as a fan. I'm yeah. just talking to people about this thing that I really dug. And now I get a chance to proselytize about this thing that I was enjoying, you know?
0: Did you, so I can't imagine, when did you put your hat in the ring to be one of the guys for
1: contention? Or was there another brand? Well, no, no, and oh, that's the this, thing, man. I gotta be honest. I, there was not another brand. I, I don't get me wrong, I, I am a, Promiscuous whiskey drinker. <laughs> I, I, uh, I enjoy lots of other brands and not just whiskey. I, you know, I really enjoy this industry and I enjoy the, the opportunity of, to try all the stuff out. Mm. There. But um, my predecessor in this role was Ralph's son, Gable, mm. who's a very good friend now. And uh, you know, he came to work at the distillery with his dad from very, very early on. And He became sort of the default ambassador. When he wasn't in the still house, he was on the road uh, proselytizing like I do now and sharing Hudson Whiskey with the masses and and going and visiting bartenders and all that good stuff that we do. But, you know, he did that for a bunch of years informally. Then he did it formally when William Grant uh, invested in Tuttletown, uh, took on the Hudson Whiskey brand. He became officially the Hudson Whiskey ambassador. Then he did that for another four years. So he he did it for years. Is he a younger guy? Yeah, he's a younger guy than me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't don't know how old Gable is. I I should know. He just had his birthday. I want to say he's 35, 36. Oh, something good. Good Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and and he's been uh, doing phenomenal things lately. He's back distilling and gardener. But that was the thing. After being on the road for a bunch of years doing it, he he wanted to come home. He wanted to spend more time with his wife, Kathy, who's just a fantastic woman. Um and he wanted to invest in in Tuttle for a while and now he's got his own thing, Gardner Liquid Mercantile where he's distilling fruit eau-de-vie and, wow. and literally making stuff in the back. Oh, that's Oh, that's that, fine. That's lame. You have a so, phone? Yeah, How dare I, you have I a know. phone? <laughs> uh he's distilling stuff in the back that he's literally selling out the front. That's which amazing. Is, you know, very very cool and it's it's really an extension of what his dad pioneered in terms of the farm distillery act yeah. and this legislation that helped promote using local products in right. New York. Um, so anyway, he wanted to get off the road and Hudson Whiskey did a call out. Literally I saw about Do You want to come yeah. be the next ambassador, take over for Gable and I put my hat in the ring and I got lucky.
0: What did you have to compose to put your hat in the ring? Well so I mean Is it they, a video? Is that what I saw? They made YouTube?
1: they made a whole kind of social media I mean it was a campaign. Campain, it was brilliant. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was it was a really uh innovative way of of conducting a search where they essentially invited people to, yeah, make a video. You had to create an online profile through a platform that they built. um, Write an essay. And then invite your friends to come, essentially vote for you. Not like it it wasn't based on those votes, but come get your friends on social media to root for you Mm -hmm. as you go through this process. And there were various rounds um so it went from some 280 or so i forget exactly down to 88 and then Lord, the 12 people, people and then there were three finalists and uh the the three finalists we were in, we basically went up to tuttletown distillery and had a, a distillery residency for a few weeks where we learned the ropes and we did everything i mean That's we so cool. milled mashed fermented distilled yeah filled barrels proof bottle, all of it every, dude, yeah. every bit of it and it was a blast and frankly it was the kind of thing I probably would have paid to do yeah if the opportunity hadn't come in this way at another time in my life if I had the money you know to take 2 weeks right. off and instead <laughs> I got paid 2 weeks and want you know a, a
0: job of a lifetime out of it so if you can take a step back and you think about that whole process which yeah. one it, to me it's that you had such a social presence is is good and i congratulate you for that thank you yeah as a piece <laughs> To ponder on yourself and your set of skills.
1: Why you? Why
0: do you think they picked
1: you? Well, I I don't know. I mean, I I feel like they they definitely took a chance, and I don't I I I don't think many brands would. Yeah. I think it says something about Hudson whiskey. I think it says something about Ralph and Gable and Brian and the team at Tuttletown, uh, who were always willing to take a chance. But it also yeah. says something about William Grant and Sons because. At the end of the day, it was this family owned company that's not such a small company in the grand scheme of no, things kidding. that yeah. had the ultimate say. And they took a chance. Uh you know, I it's it's obviously it's still a small brand. Uh it's it's growing and, and it's doing great and we feel great about it. But um I think it was it was where Hudson was that uh you know, it had been in the, the great hands of of Gable, who's dad co-founded it with yeah. his partner Brian Lee and um you know so th- there was room there well, it wasn't like there was a long succession or there was a whole group of, right, of right. uh you know ambassadors that that had held the the position before um I think so, they've
0: got an eye for talent that's what I think well thank
1: you I, I I suppose uh I think one of the the fun things looking back was you know most of the people who really were rooting for me on mm-hmm. Facebook and tweeting and and you know commenting on Instagram, doing all this good stuff that I think helped get some attention, they were all a lot of my activist friends who kind of That's knew it. I was a little burnt they, out, yeah. and they they knew and and they know they, how to support a cause, don't well, they? Have, without a doubt, yeah. and you know I had turned them on to a lot of good drinking. Yeah. And, and I <laughs> I've I, I always brought the cocktails to the yeah. fundraising party. You know I. I, uh, I had, uh, you know, helped a lot of them put together nice home bars over yeah. the years, and I think they were just uh, getting me back. Karmic so yeah. man. Yeah. Totally karmic. All right. Sure. Let's try the Absolutely. second one
0: of your pick, and I want to talk about the road after this. Of course. The long and winding road. So
1: I'm going to pour you a little Manhattan rye. Okay. Hudson Manhattan rye. Now, I said uh, the baby bourbon was literally the very first bourbon made right. in New York pre-Prohibition... Uh, you know, nobody had made bourbon, but folks made plenty of rye of course. In, in New York uh, and in the Northeast and, and uh, Pennsylvania and Maryland. Um, but this is the first rye whiskey made in New York after Prohibition because Tuttletown Spirits, of course, was the first distillery to start up after Prohibition. That's so much, that's, you know, part of, of Ralph and Brian's legacy to to have created this distillery where there hadn't been anyone making whiskey for 70 years. Wow. Um, but what I love about this rye whiskey is it really harks back to those pre-prohibition style rye whiskeys. You get lots of spice and certainly has a grainy quality, but then you'll see it's not just, I think a lot of folks are intimidated by rye whiskey. I think they so. think it's just going to be heat, heat, heat. Right, right. It's got that cracked pepper spice right up front, but then you'll see it mellows into more fruit and And still plenty of spice, but more like baking spice, cinnamon. Once you get to know her. Absolutely. She's quite lovely, huh? Indeed. (laughs) And, of course, called Manhattan Rye, Mm. partly to sort of pay homage to the island and and lay claim to the New York heritage Mm -hmm. that this stuff represents, but, of course, also to remind people of Manhattan. A proper Manhattan is made with rye whiskey.
0: Yeah, sorry, that twist at the end. That was a very, very oh, nice. unexpected twist. Go- sweet and cinnamon just popped into the Without end of it, a yeah. doubt. little mint. little uh, yeah. kind of a
1: menthol. Kind yeah, of it's great. Cooling thing it's on cool that dry it, finish.
0: It starts where you think. Yeah. But yeah, it yeah. certainly doesn't end up where Exactly. You think. That's really, really right brilliant. On.
1: What's the proof on this guy? Heres.: Again, 92 proof. Good. It's kind of our sweet spot across just the so Port it doesn't luge. Right when, Indeed.
0: Yeah. So talking about the road, then. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you got, you're a man who's traveled the world. Probably been in really perilous situations. A stuff few, that's yeah. incredibly. Your life's been on the line a couple of times, I'd imagine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I so it, it's funny. I, I was trying to think about which which story to tell you about. Um, you know, a place that I travel and 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 a, aside from the the peril that that uh, was also really beautiful and yeah. Um, and honestly, one of the more dangerous places sadly and to this day Afghanistan yeah Um, I was I've been in Afghanistan a few times and and most recently and I'd love to go back but it's been eight nine let's see 2007 I guess I was there last and and uh, in Kabul but then traveled up north into Badakhshan and and um, that is a place where obviously I mean peril at every turn and certainly uh, in the wrong areas and, and being an American. But at the same time, the uh, Pashtunwali, that people have talked uh, about the, the Pashtun kind of um, concept of, of hospitality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an industry where we're obsessed with talking about hospitality and trends right. in hospitality. Well, 2,000-plus yeah. years of, of hospitality as a, as a deep and abiding philosophy for the Pashtun people um basically means that you know an enemy could walk up and knock on s- somebody's door i right. mean a, a a real enemy yeah and if they were seeking just a, a place to spend the night they'd let you in they'd probably make you tea they would put you in a corner and give you a blanket and yeah. when you're walking out the door they say don't come back or i will kill you oh my god <laughs> you know but yeah. in that moment they will literally i mean Selfless. I, I very very It just comforting this deep, deep, moral, ethical, uh, religious, all, all of the above, um, woven together, braided together, uh, philosophy of hospitality mm-hmm. that is about honor. And, and I experienced that in Afghanistan in, in a way that, I mean, some of the poorest people that, that I've ever come across who would literally give you the shirt off their back. Mm. Um, but beyond that, beyond all the cliches, also just a really beautiful place with lovely people who like to laugh and uh, have wicked, funny, great senses of humor, and great music and food, and you know, just we see it different here, don't we? Yeah, we well, we, yeah. Have a very we, interesting we just don't see lands. enough. Oftentimes, yeah. we, uh, the 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 channels, um, yeah, we we are are. Filled with static, and uh, right. and and so we're not always getting the clearest picture.
0: So now that you have this, and I'm trying to transition gently, right? From, <laughs> <laughs> from it's like, yes. oh, it's I, I, <laughs> I, yes. I, as I raise a whiskey <laughs> to the
1: the people of Afghanistan for all the hospitality <laughs> that I've enjoyed. I, I noted that it's what
0: sort I've of experienced in Mexico, right? So it's the same. It's this kind of. Uh, DNA that is in a lot of people, where they just want to be polite, they want to take care of each other. Sure. Um, and then once that's done, once the formalities are out of the way, yeah. do you disagree with me, get the <laughs> fuck out of here, <laughs> right? No just doubt. the door, jog on, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so you're traveling a lot, mm-hmm. and you get to talk about this thing that you love. Are you? I think this is really an easy answer. How comfortable are you with going in front of a room of people you don't know? getting on a stage, so to speak, and talking about whiskey, talking about Hudson. I mean,
1: again, uh, speaking of things that I, I just can't take for granted, uh, the the fact that people will let me get up on the stage and <laughs> and, and, let me and out, wax there, about whiskey. I yeah. mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I will get that rush of adrenaline and nervousness and my handle shake. But uh, it's it's become second nature. It's, it's what we do. And I, and I do enjoy it. I think. The important part is that my job, and I feel like the best of my colleagues and peers in this industry, our, mm. our job isn't just to present, and educate, and, and speak from on high. It's to convene and host and, and provide hospitality and get yeah. people together and throw a party and, and make people feel comfortable and, and hopefully broaden people's horizons. Um, so you know, if I can do that, I mean, it's, it's just a blast. Uh, are you kidding me? I, you know, did you ever perform kind of when you
0: were younger? Did you? Oh, yeah, I band. Band yeah, I was in a punk band. Yeah, I was in a punk band. I'm course. trying to think. Let me see. What what would you play?
1: <laughs> you're no, too was creative. Singer. Okay, yeah. good. Not a drummer because you're Not, too creative. Yeah. Uh, no, I was I, I sang in a punk band. Um, you know, I, later I, known as Green
0: Day, if I recall. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. That, come on, <laughs> Billy Joe. Um,
1: but uh, no, just pretty pretty small. It'd be hard to find anything. But uh, we were called the Fifth Column. Um. And uh so yeah, you know, I've been on some stages over so you the know years. How that and feels. I mean that I think that's that's one thing to go back to what you know, William Grant and Hudson Whiskey and Tuttletown and Brian and Ralph and Gable and all these folks were looking for in an ambassador. They they I think they they weren't looking for a wallflower, for, <laughs> you know, that's for sure. So yeah. uh part of our job is to try to walk into any room yeah. and feel comfortable enough to talk to anybody. And I think you know, in in some ways, and believe me, I I look at some of my colleagues and some of my peers out there doing the work that I'm doing, and I'm just bowled over, and have so much, and and I'm I'm envious and I yeah. am intimidated by Who, who's how,
0: someone you're a fan of. Sorry
1: to stop you and talk oh, out there, geez. but well, had to, let let me just finish my yeah. point, which is just to simply say that, you know, I think that uh, folks are are. There's so much uh, good work being done out there. I didn't know that I was sort of in training for what I'm doing now, but I, I feel like I look back and I realize that a lot of what I did for many, many years kind of led up to a, a, a bundle of skills that make me, Yeah. I'm not going to say that they make me a good ambassador. I do my best every day, but I, they make me comfortable doing sure. this, and they make me comfortable walking into a room filled with diverse people I've never met, who may or may not like whiskey, may or may not like my politics, may right. or may not like where I'm from, may may or may yeah. not like my face. <laughs> it doesn't matter, and yeah. I can hopefully walk in and uh, pour some drinks and have everybody, including myself, laughing by you know the the end of whatever time we have together. And that's, I think, probably the most important skills to be able to talk to anybody. I think so. Meet it. them where they are. Right.
0: There are any legends, living legends in this uh, ambassador field that you well.
1: I mean, th- this is this is almost too easy, but Charlotte Boise, ah. you know. I mean, oh, that's easy. Yeah, right. I, well, I know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and perhaps, you know, not controversial enough, but the truth is uh, she's just such a class act, you yeah. know, and, um, and she can do that. And, you know, I, I watch her, and I, I just think she's tremendous, and she's also kind of been a mentor, and she's one of those people. I know, even though... No one's I, I, she was certainly helping make the decision to bring me on board. Yeah. And the fact that she was willing to take a a, a chance on me was humbling. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: It is always when someone recognizes you that you so respect. I mean, it's like one of those lovely warm yeah, because feelings. Because you know? she was also
1: one of those people, you know, a- along with some, you know, the, like Dave Wondrich, in terms yeah. of the, just the history and the writing, and Dale DeGroff, just in terms of well being King Cocktail. Right. right. Um, she was one of those people who I was following as a social media personality, as somebody who I watched their videos and yeah. read the stuff. You know, she was somebody who I was like, oh, that's. so She was cool. on Iron Chef, man. Yeah, that's the exactly. thing. <laughs> that,
0: that was the thing. Her and Tony Abouganin. I was like,
1: these guys, I gotta
0: know. Yeah. This was even right. years ago, but yes. I heard a story about her the other night but I mean, this is a great thing and i was talking to another person i can person. neither confirm nor deny. uh <laughs> i don't know when, it where this fo- is going totally un- uncontroversial oh, i promise all right so she'll head out at 8 p.m so she can make it in bed and run in the morning oh yeah that is insanely perfect that oh yeah a great way to live the ambassador line. well and that's you know
1: it, it's funny uh i just saw her the afternoon before i came down here and we were remarking about the f- the fact that, you know, this San Antonio cocktail conference lasts a long time, yeah. And we were both experiencing some some FOMO, uh, really, you know, wishing that we were here, just seeing all these folks posting stuff on Facebook and yeah. having so much fun. And uh, she she said, you know, I know it's it's almost giving me FOMO, and I don't even do FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's true. You know, after you do it for a while, uh, you
0: got to know the boundaries, man. It, absolutely. You
1: know? And, and she, she's queen of the Irish exit. Um, she just disappears in a puff of smoke, and you yeah. just don't know where she went. But the, God bless her, she's so classy, and everyone loves her, so she can just get away with it. Yeah. No one's going to give her a hard time either. Never will. Because they know she's literally up the next morning, uh, perhaps in a whole new city. Yeah. She she may have literally flown at six o'clock that morning somewhere, and she's taking a run along the you know, seashore in, in Charleston <laughs> or something. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. yeah. looking at dolphins, but yeah,
0: that's amazing. Well, so
1: to talk about the last chapter,
0: which I will I'll dub it the future. Yes, let's punctuate with the last
1: fine bottle that you've. Uh, of course, I th- and this this uh, worked out nicely because I'm going to pour you a little of our maple cask rye, and of course this is a. This is an innovation. This Thank is something that's kind of interesting and new. And oh, whoa. It's not that new. It's been around, uh, this is the fourth batch. Um, but this is a seasonal release, of a batch that we've done each year for the last four years. Essentially, our rye whiskey that has been aged in uh, some barrels, well, aged in new charred oak barrels. Yeah. And then transferred for a finish in barrels that were used to age maple syrup. No kidding. So our baby bourbon barrels that we lend to a maple tapper in Vermont ages his maple syrup, sends them back, and we put our rye back in for just a finish. So not any added maple flavor Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. sugar or anything, really. Uh, Just that finish kind of, you know, uh, inspired by great finished scotches, something like a Caribbean cask yeah uh, you know uh balveni 14 year um where that maple just kind of rounds it that's right gives it a hint of sweetness but really just polishes it it's not like you get a big it doesn't taste like maple syrup and we don't
0: know but you get the creaminess and that yeah. vanilla at the end of it right? that's where it's like you get a handshake pulled to a hug <laughs> that's exactly how it feels very formal at the front, right? And then it's like, Cheers, folded. I love that. Yeah, and it, but it, that's- why I am just so a, stealing that. Please steal that. <laughs> 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 no, lovely. And it's the same proof as the other guys, just because that's the
1: magic. Indeed. Yeah, it's really lovely.
0: Right on. Gross. I oh, like man. that. Yes, and, and, I, oh, and
1: here's, this, is, this is one where uh, you get a real nice payoff with just the added splash of water in that, that, that maple flavor will bloom just a little bit more. Uh, it's still subtle. We, we want it to be subtle. We, mm. we don't want anything that would even resemble a maple-flavored whiskey. Not that there's anything wrong with that, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, for what we're trying to do. Um, anyway, that, that water will allow that maple to come to the fore just a bit. Subtle, but it's good. Yeah. Tasteful. Cheers. Artful. <laughs> Cheers, indeed.
0: So how many years have you been in this role now?
1: A little over two and a half.
0: Two and a half years.
1: Two and three quarters now, I suppose. coming up on three years.
0: A lot of travel,
1: yeah. a lot of I mean, talking. Yeah, New, uh, New York is our, I mean, it's my home base, and it is Hudson Whiskey's backyard yeah. and our biggest market by far. And so I have an excuse to stay home a little bit more than some other national ambassadors who yeah. really have to be road warriors. Um, but uh, I also, I, I enjoy the travel, I do, and I enjoy being able to explore bars and, and Cities. I mean, walking around a town like San Antonio, so which cool. yeah, it's such a cool a town, and the River Walk, and all the history, and just the kind of mishmash of cultures here, and the Mexican heritage. I mean, it's it's so cool. But yeah. uh, so you know, Texas, Florida, California, these big markets where Hudson does well. Of course, I, I've got to pay homage, I've got to uh, do that work. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bunch of travel, but it's not insane. Yeah, not compared to the way that I know some. Folks are out there on the road sometimes. It, Traveling themselves into the grave, man. Yeah, it yeah. boggles my my mind, frankly. But uh, but yeah, I'm on to L.A. tomorrow and from there to Seattle. Um, so again, well, can't complain, though, right? It's not bad. Yeah. These are great cities. <laughs> I know. Right. It'd be different
0: than like you're going to Pocatello, Idaho, tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, nothing wrong with that. But you're going to get some it's, hate it's, mail. from. <laughs> let them throw <laughs> potatoes at me. I don't care. I've spent some time in Pocatello, man. Come yeah. on. I used to live up. Around that area. Oh, right. So, it, this is the thing that, that's so interesting to me. So, like a success story, you, you could this could be, in a sense, a TV movie, right? Punk kid turned artist or activist or a whiskey mm. aficionado, yeah. right? But are you going to document this stuff? Like wh- Whether there's a next chapter, and I'm, you know, I'm sure there's so much more mileage left with Hudson and they're going to do great new things, more innovation sure. and all that. But But for you and to keep your creative mind at work What it, is an autobiography in store and, and yeah, i don't i do on. not think that's hyperbolic either I, <laughs> I i assure you you've lived a life a lot of us have lived semi lives
1: you've been a lot of places you've seen a lot of shit go down you know well i i mean i i think we i think we get an opportunity at a bunch of different lives if we do it right i mean um and sometimes that can just be a bunch of kind of compartmentalized lives or yeah. it just means living a very multifaceted life or sometimes it can literally mean kind of having some revolutions in one's life where yeah. you do one thing for a while and then you do a different thing for a while and i i guess i i've always admired i've i've known some people who've really had some you know they were they were a poet and then they were a farmer and yeah. then they were a distiller and then they were you know they were something else and um, I, I feel pretty, uh, privileged. Well, I am privileged to, to have been able to kind of run at a bunch of different things, but really I think with, with this, I, I truly feel like I'm, I'm doing my best to kind of highlight the legacy of Tuttletown, Ralph and Brian and Gable and the team that, I, I mean, I, I really think that they've been such pioneers and, and, and we didn't even talk about the, passage of the farm distillery act and sort of all the work that they've done to kind of advocate for just the craft distilling boom this renaissance in in craft spirits that we've seen rolling across the country and the role that that they have played uh within that i really i'm having fun i can't i can't believe i get paid to sit here and talk to you and sip whiskey um but literally this is me doing my job so i try not to take it for granted and i'm I try to represent uh, for some folks who I think have done the, the heavy lifting. You know what I mean? They've really done the heavy lifting. It's on your back, end, yeah, though, to and carry, now, right? Well, I, I just try to tell stories, and I yeah. try to uh, represent the good work that I think that they've been doing already. Um, with that, though, I think you know, I've, I've, this is a role in which we get to do some creative stuff. We yeah. get to exercise those muscles. So last year um, we celebrated the 10th Well last year. 2015, actually. In, two, in 2015, we celebrated the 10th anniversary of Hudson Whiskey. Um, and we, we chose that date. 2013, of course, was the 10th anniversary of the distillery's founding. Yeah. But we, 2015 was the 10th anniversary of the first whiskey actually coming off the stills. And uh, we had a big party up at the distillery. Um, and William Grant let me make a little documentary about the craft distilling renaissance and about Ralph's advocacy for the Craft Distillery Act and about the different generations, the ones that came before that it inspired Tuttletown and the ones that have come after. I mean, now we're seeing, you know, more still craft distilleries popping up all over the country to this day. And I was able to make this documentary. I mean, it's 17 minutes long. We didn't want it to be. That's good. It's not a feature length thing, but it's also not a three minute brand video yeah. it's what i think was an earnest exploration of this phenomenon um and i was able to travel around the country and speak to a bunch of distillers who were only willing to speak to me because of the good kind of uh graces with which they you know hold uh, for for uh ralph and brian and right, cable and right. you know i mean um so you can go visit the hudson whiskey youtube page and see this thing uh and that kind of stuff, I—that's I, part of my job. Again, yeah. like Not I get to gig. exercise those those muscles, which is so fun. Pretty um, fulfilling. Um, and imagine. I think that there'll be there'll be more of that for me. Yeah, taking pictures and you know making documentaries and and writing and speaking and storytelling. You know, that's amazing. And uh, and drinking the the good stuff <laughs> the good that comes off. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Well, so here's the last question because I'm, I'm going to be. Really, really interested to see how you feel about this. You're at your favorite bar in the world. Don't know where that may be. Not even asking. Let's just say it's a, okay, it's a yeah. place setting, right? Sure. You can pick. I, I'm, I'm loving this rye. So let's pick a bottle of the Hudson rye. Yeah. You're sipping it. You can have a conversation and a sip of this rye with anybody living or past. <laughs> Who would you love to sit and have a conversation with?
1: Oh man. So that's, that's tough because it literally, it's, it's, it's based on mood, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, Much like the whiskey. And yeah. uh, I think I'd like to sip a little, and, and that's, I th- if you had said the baby bourbon, yeah. or if you had said our corn, like right? it might have elicited it, yeah, literally exactly. a different <laughs> answer. Um, I think I'd like to sip a little Manhattan rye whiskey with E. Cummings. E. Cummings, oh, yeah.
0: interesting.
1: yeah uh i i just um want i wanna, i want to hear his poetic voice just in a dusty bar room with a little rye whiskey kind yeah. of uh Graveling changing up. it making it <laughs> yeah <laughs> roughing it up a little yeah. bit um yeah i think that'd uh, be lovely that, first answer best answer right so I'll always it. it's brilliant mate yeah. thank
0: you so much for sharing the hudson stuff truly my pleasure willie g's I love working with you guys and chatting with you guys. Brilliant bunch of numbskulls. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Han, it's been a pleasure, man. Hey, Talk soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, there we have it. Hudson Whiskey's Han Sean, an enigmatic guy. It seems like he's lived two lives, the pre-whiskey life, and now traveling the United States and the world speaking the praises of Hudson Whiskey. Hudson Whiskey has come a profoundly long way in terms of flavor, complexity, and maturity. And again, it's all, all the SKUs were really, really good, and it was great to sit down and sip those. But that Manhattan rye is just something out of this world. It blew me away. I would tried it years ago, and now it seems like they've upgraded to the full 53-gallon barrels, and that has made a world of difference. Han is an amazing guy, and I know there are far more tales to tell than what we sat down and chatted. So I hope you guys get a chance to chat with Han and kind of get to feel the worldliness and the experienced and almost gritty nature of the guy, but yet so peaceful, harmonious, and really, really down to earth. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter what your thoughts are on cachaça and how oak can impart so much great flavor, or when you're looking forward to getting the new 750 milliliter version of the Hudson Manhattan rye, Please keep dancing.